This theology is widely regarded as having its beginnings back in the Protestant Reformation of the 16th century, ignited by one Martin Luther. In truth, its real roots can be traced beyond the Protestant Reformation to the scriptures itself, as indicated by the Credo of Sola Scriptura. This theology is not a new belief system, but one that seeks to continue apostolic doctrine. What is the system of belief that was reignited by the Reformers, yet took the flame from Scripture itself? Join us today as we take this time to stop and think about it. Hello? Hello, anybody home? I think, McFly, think. I'm thinking, I'm thinking. What were you thinking? I'm trying to think, but nothing happens. Don't say anything now. Just think about it. You're listening to Stop and Think About It, a podcast for the Christian thinker. In a day when sound biblical preaching has been replaced by man-centered entertainment and the church has become increasingly anti-intellectual, this podcast will encourage believers to think biblically and theologically. So please join me as we get ready to stop and think about it. Greetings, friends and foes, saints and sinners. Welcome to another exciting episode of the Stop and Think About It podcast. Today, we look at the very heart of your two humble podcasters. Speak for yourself. (laughs) And the theology that many came before held to, even at the cost of their lives. What is this theology we speak of? That would be none other than Reformed theology. And what is Reformed theology? Well, we're going to give you the five-figure discount on that. Let's travel on the high seas, one for each finger, to help you remember. I want to let everyone know that I did not uh, co-sign on any of this stuff. (laughs) The five-finger discount is, number one, Calvinistic, two, covenantal, three, confessional, four, use of catechisms, and five, also creeds. So, before we look at what Reformed theology is, is let's look at what reformed theology is not so i want to jump in here um i think there is a a very there's a misconception from a lot of people and i know some people who are christians who i believe are saved and god-fearing who visit the church and who are under this impression that that reformed theology is a new theology which is what you kind of alluded to in the introduction um, as if it's something that just came up 50 years ago and we just, it's this new fad, right? It's been around since, since the beginning. It's, it's kind of what we would consider to be biblical theology in, in, a, in a, a large extent. Uh, two, they believe that it's overly strict. I had someone say to me, oh, it's, you're so strict. You're so like uh, uh, locked in, you know? Um, and to me, it's a very free, open, expressive theology, which allows us to kind of submit to God and, and, and to walk in, in, the, in the narrow path that he's decided for us. Third, it, this and this is like the most overarching, and everyone's going to kind of be familiar with this one, is that it's all about doctrine and not about heart. And we're not going to be able to get into it today. Um, we're going to have a part two. And as we learn more and more about the theology, that the Reformed theology, we're going to find out that it's so God-centered so anti-man that it is, I think, one of the only theology that is all heart. Uh, 
that in the submission to God, we finally get to the heart. And there is this close connection that we have with God that you cannot have by just saying, hey, free grace, hey, whatever you want, free will, we choose God freely. This idea that we bring nothing to the table, this understanding of how low we are can only let you love God more. Yeah. And so it's not that Reformed theology is new because it's not new. Because listen, if it's new, it ain't true. Uh, You could take that one to the bank. But there has been like a resurgence of Reformed theology, I would say. So resurgence is pulling back from something that has always been, but, you know, it kind of comes to the surface and, and, and begins to spread more. And so this is a good and godly thing that there's been a resurgence of Reformed theology, uh, especially in a lot of uh, younger uh, believers. Uh, they've really latched on to Reformed theology and have gotten away from some of the uh, emotional driven um, focuses uh, from, let's say, Pentecostalism or, or other traditions where the theology is not the main crux, but the amount of emotion that is turned up um, is seen as godliness. And so there is this reality or this belief, I should say, that we're all heart, uh, I'm sorry, all doctrine and no heart. And then there's this other group that seem to be like, quote unquote, all heart and no doctrine. But we see in the scriptures that both must be uh, present and that out of the doctrine comes the heart. Out of the doctrine comes the the reverence and the joy uh, in the Lord. Now, I know we didn't plan to talk about this, but, you know, we've been the last several podcasts, if everyone's been following it, it's kind of best dealt with kind of more of how Christians deal with the politics, how Christians deal with society as it is right now in America. And I'm telling you, read a book, do a Google search. I know everyone does that. and Find out where the Puritans came from. We talked about that. They you know, one of the founding members of the American society as it is. And they were fleeing this persecution to be able to freely worship. And I would say they were the majority were reformed, theolo- reformed um, Christians. Sure. And, 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 and this resurgence is just kind of a going back to, to what we were founded to be in the first place. Um, not to keep it, to make it American centric, but we're in America speaking to Americans primarily. And I, I think it's important to understand that, that, that far from being new, it's literally the foundation of our country. Well, amen. Amen. Yeah, absolutely. And so if it's good enough for the Puritans, Hey, it's good enough for us. <laughs> definitely, definitely, definitely. So, I mean, we, we don't have enough time and I, and I think, you you know obviously you know I'm the uh, uh, the handsome one of this group absolutely well, for podcast obviously and you know you can't did you a guys lot see of, it right now <laughs> <laughs> um, and I know you spent a lot of time on the on this and we chose these five because they seem to be the essentials of everything and I think there's a misconception even for people who know reform theology we we had a little mini debate about that ourselves about. What, what actually makes up Reformed theology? And I think it's a lot of things people believe. And I think Cal- Calvinism, or being Calvinistic, that's the big one, right? That's that's the one that is the most polarizing, I think, for, for most people. Yeah, and so that would be no, number one when we think about what is Reformed theology. It would be theology that is Calvinistic. And so it's inspired 
by the writings of Calvin and his students uh, who summarized their doctrine from the inspired word of God. Uh, it's not that Calvin came up with this new theology. And uh, Calvinism is certainly a major tenet of Reformed theology, but it's not the whole of Reformed theology. Um, and this might sound nuanced, but uh, I'll say uh, uh, I, not the Lord, would say everyone who is Reformed is a Calvinist, but not everyone who's a Calvinist is Reformed. So in other words, uh, there are Calvinistic churches that uh, hold to New Covenant theology, uh, dispensationalism, and and other such theologies. Um, but they don't hold to some of these things that we're going to be moving into, such as a confession, uh, especially. Yeah, and and I think the, the, a major part to be to point to be made is, and we're not disparaging anyone. I'm just saying, but you know, it, to be intellectually consistent, to be right. logically consistent, you would have to kind of adhere to these five. And we're not, and these are not random things. They kind of flow together, as you're going to notice. Calvinism kind of leads into catechisms and confessions and all these other things. And it's the foundation of it. It's not, it's kind of hard to separate them. And I think when, when people think of um, reformed theology and when people have objections to it, and when there seems to be confusion is a lack of coherence in these points, right? Yes. Because people are one of, one of the jokes, and you can tell me if I'm wrong, it's not really a joke, but one of the things that people is amusing to people is when people say that there are four points, or a three-point Calvinist. So we're going to go into what that means. It's kind of like, it doesn't work without all five, right? Right, right. Yeah, I mean, to me, it it, it doesn't. It doesn't. Um, and so when you dip back into early church history, there were three major battles uh, that were had. And the first one will be Augustine versus Pelagius. Um, and that was over the free will issue and the sovereignty of God and salvation. Um, and so uh, Augustine won the day. Pelagius was tossed out uh, as a heretic um, because he believed that people were following um, either in the footsteps of Adam or they can choose to follow in the footsteps of Jesus. But not that we were born with the sin nature of Adam. No, everyone start started with free will and a fresh slate, just like whoa, Adam whoa, started. Whoa, 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 whoa. Why does that sound familiar? Uh, maybe because we did a podcast on this? Yeah, that, that, and also, that <laughs> sounds like the common perception of most non-Christians right now, or and Christians right now. Yes, so that, we did a podcast called Pelagianism, the self-help gospel. Uh, that would be podcast number two, Back in 2019, Woo. don't rem don't remember 2019. Don't remember 2019. <laughs> that was that was a, that was pre mask. <laughs> pre mask, I like yeah, that. So, but 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 Phil, Pastor Phil, if you go and you ask random Christian, non Christian, they're gonna and you ask them, is man born with sin? Is not man? They're gonna say we're born good. Yeah. So he, <laughs> we've gone we've gone even beyond <laughs> what he said, which was like we're neutral. They're like, oh, and I think they I think majority of people would agree with this neutral idea, but not a reformed person, right? No, no. When you're reformed, you definitely believe, um, as David taught, in sin did my mother conceive me. Mm -hmm. So we're born as sinners. We we we're sinners by nature and sinners by choice. And so if Glenroy was 
absolutely um, allergic to shellfish. And if he ate shellfish, his throat would swell up and uh, he can, he could die for uh, lack of oxygen. I could put the shellfish in front of him and he quote unquote has the free will to eat it, but he can't eat it because it's against his nature. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And so the champion or what we would consider the person on the right side of history was Augustine, which, which was yes. argue, arguing the opposite and saying, no, no, we're point sinners, right? That's it's the it. grace of God that saves us. The grace of God, without that grace, we will never choose him. Right. And then that led the way into the second uh, battle, um, which was Luther versus Erasmus. And so Erasmus was putting forth, uh, I think it was, uh, tabula rasa that we're born with a blank slate same kind of way from pelagius um and so after a year martin luther's wife uh katerina von bora luther um she prodded martin to respond and he wrote the famous work the bondage of the will which i highly recommend by the way and showed that our will is not free. It's in bondage to sin. So you could choose your favorite ice cream flavor, but you would never choose to follow the Lord because you are dead. And dead man, they don't respond. If you go to a morgue and you start poking people's toes in the mortuary, uh, nobody's going to move because they're dead. So how can dead people do things? They, they, they can't. Once again, sounds familiar. One, we talked about this in another podcast. But two, this is the same argument we have today between believers, between unbelievers. It's the same argument. It, it, when, and I think we're going to talk about it in a little bit. But when, 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 when are Christians as a group going to say, hey, we've been arguing about this for two or three, 3,000 years, or 2,000 years at least, you know, 1,000 years. Scripture is clear. <laughs> we keep having the same arguments. And one of the things we're going to talk about in a minute is confessionals, because we've had councils that have met to say, to, to be definitive about what's right and what's wrong. And sure. we're still having it. This is why it's important. We're not just talking about Reformed theology because we, we believe in Reformed theology. It, it's, 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 we keep moving the goalpost and... It's not. It's the same argument. And so it's not a new thing. If it's new, you can dismiss it. But this is something that's been gone. You can you can say, hey, I'm Pelagius all the way. I'm Erasmus all the way. That's not re traditional Christian thought. That's not what we would define today. Even the most ardent um, liberal theologian would not argue on, on the side of these guys because it, it, does, it doesn't what, what do you call it, Phil? It doesn't pass the smell test. Yes. And then from Luther and Erasmus, it came up to Calvin's students and the students of Jacob Arminius. It wasn't Calvin versus Jacob Arminius, as some think that the five points of Calvin were written by Calvin. They were not. They came about by his students, known as the five points of Calvinism in rebuttal to the five points of Arminianism. So Arminian came up with the five points first, their five points, and they are polar opposite to the five points of Calvinism. And so many people that hold to Arminian theology don't even know that they hold to Arminian, the Arminian theology or semi 
uh, Pelagian theology. They, they don't even know it. So when they chide um, those that are Reformed and those that are Calvinistic, that we follow Calvin and they follow Jesus. Well, they don't even realize that they are taking doctrine from Arminianism and just espousing it as biblical, but I've never really studied the issue per se, because when people say, well, we're born with free will, wasn't Adam born with free will? Well, okay. Adam was born with free will. He was born with free will, but Adam was born without sin. Are we born without sin? No. So then, therefore, if we're not born without sin, then therefore, are we born in the same way that Adam was born? Look, we can keep going and going and going and right. going. But right now, we're laying the groundwork, right? So the five points, it wasn't that Calvin or Calvin's students said, hey, you know what? We just going to make up some five points of just for fun. We're going we're gonna to set ourselves apart and just make up some stuff. No, 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 no. That was the other side. The other side said, these are the five things that we adhere to. And we said, okay, in opposition to that, because this was this was understood as biblical thought, as a no-brainer. And they felt the necessary to kind of say, hey, no, 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 no. We got to put this in some kind of form that the future generations can look back and say, okay, this is what it really is. Because it, it wasn't necessary before until people started questioning these things. And so I think today, because the the five points of Calvinism, this idea is older, it kind of was like, well, it was from then and they made this stuff up. And right. and, and this is one of the biggest dangers in, in, our, in our thing is not understanding our history. So it's not made uh, up. It's an yes. opposition to something that was made up. <laughs> right. And so that's a strong point. And listeners get this. You have to actually know... Um, church history. This is important because if you don't know church history, then you and I will be saying things that we're just pulling out of the air, but that is actually not historically true. And so just to quickly gloss over the five points and in the future, we'll kind of dive you know, beneath the surface and get underneath the iceberg of the five points. But uh, we start off with the first one, um, whereas the Arminian believed um, <clears throat> that uh, we have this, uh, we're born with this free will. Um, free will to sin. Yeah, free will to sin. Um, historically, uh, Reformed believers held that we are totally depraved. And so the Arminius states that though uh, man is fallen, he's not incapacitated by his sin nature and can freely choose God. His will is not restricted or enslaved by his sin nature. And so uh, we believe the absolute opposite, that dead men are dead, and no matter how much you poke a dead man, he ain't gonna move. No matter how much they cried when Lazarus was dead in, in the grave, he wasn't coming out until Christ called him. And so it's just a real picture of total depravity. And, and and I want to get and I know you're going to run through real quick, but I also want to give a, a less like effective analogy. But it's the idea of someone who's on drugs. He 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 wants to stop. He's planned to stop. He he really thinks he's not going to do drugs. But guess what? Because of his addiction to do this thing, he keeps going back to it. And it's a poor analogy because you can, with help, stop. 
but it's kind of this idea we're addicted to the sinful actions and and we are not going to stop unless there's an outside force guess what that outside force is it's god stopping us from it and reshaping us and 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 getting us off of this 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 bad habit and then we can we can choose to not do it it doesn't happen before that um and and one quick thing because this is something that always happens it's we're not saying that we're completely depraved we're not saying we're just doing straight evil all the time but our whole nature is depraved right good point yeah we're not saying we're as evil as we can be correct but in you know in the same sense you know uh, any one of us could have been a Hitler. Like Hitler was not an anomaly, as Paul Washer would say. Mm-hmm. But if we were as wicked as we could be, oh my. So, you know, there are beneficial things that the wicked can do in society. They can make medicines and they can make uh, technology that's helpful for other people and things of that nature. Um, so, God is even still restraining us from being as evil. As we possibly could. Read a biography. Any of these great men and great women, you you read halfway through the book and you find out they did this horrible thing. Yeah. The greatest men and the greatest women did this horrible thing. Yep. It, it's it's human. We 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 are totally depraved. We 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 vacillate between different degrees of evil, different degrees of bad, um, until God saves our heart and we, we can start as we submit and obey him to do good, right? What's the other one? Unconditional election. So, yeah. So the Arminians held to conditional election that God chose people for salvation based on his foreknowledge where God looks into the future, hence like in the, down the tunnels of time to see who would choose him and respond to the gospel message. But there's a major problem. That means God has to submit to the very time uh, element that he created he's a learn something that he didn't already know and the, i mean there's it, it brings up more questions than there are it, solutions. It, 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 we we have to do a whole podcast on that and <laughs> one 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 very quick way think about it if you are saved if you're a christian listening to us if you are a believer and you're kind of confused about all this stuff i want to ask you you personally you look into yourself and say before god saved you from our perspective, right? We reform people say that you were saved by God, not by yourself, not by your own choice. You were heading headlong into sin. And it's something arrested that stopped you from going there and switched and changed your path. You're t- you want to tell me right now that you're submitting to Christ, that you would have of your own accord done that. Because I know people who are you look at them now and you're like, this is the most godly man or woman I've ever been in my life. And when they start telling you what they were doing before Christ, you would have thought there is no way. There is no way. So I, I'm asking you to personally look into yourself and say, hey, would I have chosen this? Would I have chosen the life that I've had now? If I had, if without the spirit of God within me, would I have said, you know what? That life over there looks pretty good. And I, and I, and I could honestly tell you the answer is no. We don't have enough time to go into the, all the finer points, but I'm saying ask yourself that question. Yeah, I mean, good point. The apostle Paul, he was on his way to Damascus to kill Christians. You think he put the brakes on himself? Nope, nope. And th- and that's literally the <laughs> the way it's supposed to work. <laughs> I think I think Jesus uh, put the brakes on him. You th- I think he had a bit. He had a lot to do with it, right? <laughs> yeah, maybe maybe one hundred percent. It was partially Paul and partially Jesus. No, I don't no, think so. No, you don't no, see no. that there. 
Jesus, um, Paul brought his sin. <laughs> Paul was on mission, just like you said, headlong into sin. And Jesus came along and he put a wedge down and he stopped him in his dead in his tracks. Now, look, you, 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 you're the pastor, but couldn't wasn't Paul not allowed to speak or something for a while? <laughs> Shut him down. Right. Couldn't right? see. <laughs> right. He had he, he had to he, he had to go to where God had told him to go before him to get back all these senses. That's right. That's so, right. So I like I, how do you argue with that? Was was just Paul just a special case? Yeah, so you reach into your free will argument and you try to make your case, but there really is no argument there. I mean, none at all. God, God looked into the future and realized that he was that he was going to stop him that day. Okay. <laughs> all right. Yeah. So the uh, the next one would be on the universal atonement, and so the Arminius holds the position that Jesus and, bore and the sin. Phil, I got I got to stop you. I got to stop. This is the deal breaker. This is the three point four point one yep. and a half point. This yep. is where people really get their back up in a row. This is where people start struggling and squirming yep. with with the with this one. And so the universal atonement again is the position that Jesus bore the sin of everyone who ever lived. Not true. Not true. And I just don't believe that that the scriptures uh, teaches that in any way, shape, or form. Um, Matthew one twenty one. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. Here it is. For he will save his people from their sins. His people are all people? I don't think so. I always have a question. I have a question, Pastor. I have a question. Sure. What about Judas? What about Judas? (laughs) What about Judas? (laughs) Wasn't he all other people too? He, He would have been considered all people. And so was it that Judas just chose not to follow Jesus? Was it that God looked down the corridors of time and said, well, you know, Judas isn't going to choose me. So therefore, no good on Judas. We, we, can, we can do this all day. But and, and, and it has been called limited, particular and definite. We, we, we kind of like definite now because it's kind of a, a deliberate. What we're saying, this is the main argument. Break it down as simple as possible. On the one hand. God has sent out this decree throughout the land and some people accept it and some people don't, right? To me, that is a scary proposition. I do not want my nine-year-old son to be the def- to, to cho- pick and choose whether he's going to serve Christ. I want Christ to bring him to him, right? I, I did not have any sense before I was saved. That's true. And I don't. I, <laughs> okay, say that again, right? That's true. Amen. And I, I, and, I, and, I, and I thank the Lord that it was not dependent upon my own observance to do it. But I think it's it's more loving, more heartful, more of a blessing to know that God specifically chose every single person that He saves. Yes. That is going to make me more grateful, more loving, more closer to God. Enough, I'm God. Thank you for appreciating and accepting the fact that I was going to choose you. And we see it right there at the crucifixion. There were two thieves, one on either side. And Jesus chose one, and he didn't choose the other. He said to one, today you're going to be with me in paradise. He did not say that to the other one. And it had nothing to do with Jesus looking down the corridors of time. They both were murderers, and they were both guilty, and they were both deserving of death. 
That's right. God chose one and not the other. And that's really the whole of humanity. He chooses one and not the other. And there's no like criteria of, you know, like, why did he choose Mary? He chose Mary because he chose Mary. Why did he choose uh, the apostle Paul? Surely there were other people out murdering Christians. He chose Paul. You know why? Because he chose Paul, not because Paul was better looking than someone else that day, or, you know, he had nicer sandals and his horse, you know, was faster or any other outside quality or characteristic. Now, he chose now we get, because he chose. Now, now, now we go to ir- irresistible grace. And, and, and trust me, this is another thing. How can you be a four point or a three point or, if 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 it's limited, if it's if it's if it's total depraved, it means you don't choose. If it's unconditional, right? If it is limited, like God chooses a select few, then then how can you not believe in the fact that he's that that the grace is irresistible, right? You break down what that is, because I, I I just couldn't even get to the point of describing what it is without saying, yeah, it all goes together. Yeah, and so again, the Arminian would would teach that the grace of God can be resisted and finally beaten, so you can reject uh, this the salvation of Christ. But if you're totally depraved, and He grabs you and He saves you, now now you're not coming kicking and screaming, which again that would be um, a great that, misunderstanding. That's before. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're 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 not coming to Christ kicking and screaming against your will. No, he changes the will. And then when he changes the will, you come to him and you wouldn't resist him because you love him. He draws you to himself. And it's then the drawing from John six forty four is not a wooing like a man would woo a woman. It really is the picture of when they threw the net into the, uh, into the sea of Galilee and they pulled the fish up and the fish came into the net and all the fish that swam into the net, he pulled them in. And so he changes our will, if you will, to swim into the net, right? Cause now we're alive before we were dead. Now we could move. We move toward him and we wouldn't resist him. And he pulls us up. A perfect ex- description of that. Once again, I know there might be some objections and there might be some, some look, this is something that's been debated for, for centuries, but just to give you a quick aside, the story that exemplifies this for me is the, the, um, the son, remember the, the, the story of the son, the, the lost son. Yes. When he's in the pig pen, broke, starving, working for another man. He says, wait a minute. My father has a mansion. <laughs> he has a house. I could be working for my father and living a much better life than this. And all I'd have to do is go back and submit to him. And he realizes it. He's awakened. He's come alive. He was dead in that pig pen. He was dead in his trespasses and sins. And then he recognizes God put that thought in his mind. Hey, there's something else. I can go back to the father of creation. I can go back to the person that I've been abstaining from all my life and he's going to welcome me with open arms. That's kind of the process that happens when we are saved and we we long to be with the father that we've left. Yeah, and I like what R.C. Sproul said. He said, the prodigal came to himself but he didn't come to himself by himself. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And then and then what does he do? He He, he, he runs home. Yeah. He runs because it's a story or an account or a narrative parable 
about a sinner who needed to go to the Father. Right. He recognized that he made a mistake. He recognized that 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 and he was so happy to go because he recognized that he was dead before. He was he was on this path that was this, this destructive path. And now there's a solution to this problem that doesn't require anything of him but to just to, to submit, to go back, to be with his father. Yeah, and he was willing to when he said, uh, even my father has slaves, if you will, that eat better than than I'm eating right now. Let me go and make myself one of the slaves because my father is even kind to them. Mm. But uh, yeah, his grace is irresistible. I mean, when he called me, I came, and I I didn't resist. There there was there was no inkling in my heart, you know, like should I do this? Should I not do this? It just I came immediately. Now, once again, I don't want to berate this whole section, but there are believers who, and they're believers. We look. This is this is a theology. I believe doctrinally, it's a, it's 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 all right. But with, there are people who who don't adhere to this, who I would say save the days long. And the funny thing is, they live the five points of Calvinism. They live it. They disagree with how it started. But this is how they live their lives. They live their lives as if before they were in total depravity. (laughs) They live their lives as if they brought nothing to the table. They live their lives as if and see that the rest of the world is in bondage. Well, how about this one, Glenn? I love this. I think it was from Charles Spurgeon. He said, "When, when people pray for the salvation of others... Everyone prays like a Calvinist because you're yes, praying, exactly. God, change their heart. God, change their will. Well, if it's up to them, why are you praying for God to change their why heart? Why do you say God recognize, recognize the future will? Why didn't you say that? Yeah. You see what I'm saying? So, so <laughs> it, it, to me, it's an argument without a reason. You're de- you're, you want to debate the moment it happened. But then effectively, if you're a true believer, you're living this every single day the same way as if it happened the way we said it happened. Yep. And, and and so this is the part. And I remember saying, we're going through this real quick. We're not breaking down each and every point. If you guys want us to do that, please email us. Let us know. You know, leave some comments. Let us know. But my 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 ultimate point is, this is what Reformed theology believes, right? And this is one aspect. And I think the problem, and I think what you're trying to say before, Philip people stop there and then they leave it there and then they never move. It's, oh, it's a five point. There's a lot more to it. Yes. If, yes. It, if that's all it was still would be on board, <laughs> but there's more to it. Yes, I would agree. I would agree. And so you have this belief that, um, that God's people can fall from grace. It's a teaching that a person can, uh, be saved and then be lost again. And I just don't see where that happened. Now, some people bring up Judas. Now, what's interesting is, and Pastor Peter brought this out through one of his sermons in the book of Matthew, which took him six years to preach through. Uh, Not that one sermon, of course, but the whole book. And at the Last Supper, when Jesus said, one of you will betray me, all the disciples said, Lord, curious, Lord, is it I? But Judas didn't say that. He said, Rabbi, is it me? The Judas called him rabbi, meaning teacher, and the other disciples, the other 11, called him Lord because he was their master. So if Judas 
lost his salvation, why did he call Jesus teacher instead of Lord? And the answer being, because Jesus was never his Lord. He was only his teacher. And that's all he ever looked at Jesus as, was a teacher. And that's why he had worldly sorrow, and he went out and he took his life. And Peter denied Jesus and had godly sorrow and repentance. Jesus said he prayed for Peter, but he did not say he prayed for Judas. There you have it. He chose Peter. He didn't choose Judas in that respect. He chose him to be one of his disciples, one of his learners, but he didn't choose Judas unto salvation. And we see that he was called the son of perdition. Uh, I believe it was by the prophet Isaiah. And he fulfilled that role. He fulfilled the role of the son of perdition and he was lost. And so really we have the perseverance of the saints or the preservation of the saints that all those that he saved, uh, he will bring, bring to fruition. If you look at Romans eight twenty eight, it's, I'm sorry, eight twenty nine. it says for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined. And by the way, foreknow, foreknew means to forelove, not to know before. He also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. Now, verse 30. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. So in other words, the called were justified. Nobody dropped out and they're all glorified. So there was no dropping out of the race here. All those that are justified will make it to being glorified. They will make it to heaven, not in their own merits, not on their own strength, but by the grace of God. Now, now, and uh, we just beginning. So the, the, the other part of it, that's the warm right? up. <laughs> the other part of it is, is the five solas. Yes. Right? Sola Scriptura, so, Sola Fide, Sola Gratia, Solus Christus, Sole de, Deo Gloria. Now, yes. if it sounds a little weird and it sounds like it's not English, because it's not English. And guess what? Because it's not a new thing. Right. 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 And this is what the reformers held to, the five solas. And just to focus mainly on this one, Sola Scriptura. Um that there are people that hold to the authority of Scripture and the inerrancy of Scripture, but they don't hold this to the sufficiency of Scripture, that Scripture is sufficient um, for all that God's people are to do. It's the final arbiter of everything. Um, and and, and before, before we jump on, sola scriptura means Scripture alone. Yes, scripture alone. And so you do have to talk about, you know, as far as how this flies in the face of Roman Catholicism, because they don't believe in sola scriptura. They outright reject it. They believe in papal scriptura, papal, sola papal, or you know what I'm saying? All of that. Pope alone, the cardinals and the pope together, tradition. Right. Everything outweighs scripture. (laughs) Yes, and 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 the argument that it's you know scripture plus tradition plus 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 and all the other additions to it, it doesn't it makes no sense whatsoever. And then they point to the Bible to say that we're supposed to follow traditions, and they take verses out of context and all of that. So they use the scripture to say that it's not scripture alone, 
I mean, it just—it's—it's it's so, a so, total so, debacle. Pastor Phil, I'm, I'm starting to feel like you're a little irked by this. <laughs> well, right? you're not—you're not, you're not the, a dispassionate observer in this whole <laughs> whole process, right? So, so no. yeah, so 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 it's a very basic thing that we believe that Scripture is not only authoritative, not only an error, which means there's no mistakes, there's no errors, there's nothing from the original script. That, that can be found, but that it's sufficient, right? It's absolutely. It's it's it's, it's not. It's it's. You want to know what it means to to pick a spouse? Bible got that covered. Right. You want to know what it means to be saved? The Bible got that covered. Do you want to know how a Christian should live his life? Bible got that covered, right? right? It's sufficient. Yes, it's it a, is. How how should we pick pick our pastors? Got a lot of ideas about that, but it's the Bible has the final word on how we pick our pastors, how we pick our deacons, what a church looks like. How should we? Um, how, sh- when should we get rid of church, a church member? How, what is a church member? What is a believer? All that stuff is covered. You mean we don't pick our pastors by skinny jeans? Nope. 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 Oh, if that man. was the case, you and me would not be anywhere near that. <laughs> right. Um, <laughs> well, and, and yeah, go ahead, sir. No. So like, and, and this is why the, like the Southern Baptist convention and various Calvinistic churches have co-signed on social justice and so the southern baptist convention i think we mentioned this in the past adopted intersectionality and critical race theory as analytical tools and they said it's subservient to scripture but if scripture is sufficient who needs warped tools um, I, I i don't i don't care if they they're, 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 they 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 want to use um, um lumberjack digest it doesn't matter what it is we can call it whatever we want to call it right scripture is doesn't need any help yeah, because I just don't see it in the list of Acts two forty two when they uh, when they came with the apostles' doctrine and they sat under the feet of the apostles and they had prayer and fellowship and and celebrating the Lord's Supper. I just I don't see CRT there and I don't see intersectionality or social justice anywhere there or or any other kind of man centered cultural theology. It's just not there. All right, all right. So, 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 two sola fide, faith in Christ alone. Wow. Alone, tough man. That, you know what? I can't even believe that's a debate. <laughs> yeah, I yep. can't believe that's even a question. Yep, but so it, it, but it is. Yep, it is, and it's not faith plus your works, um, and because only God can give somebody what's called saving faith. Versus general faith, like faith you place in an elevator, faith you place in an airplane pilot. You are an elevator guy, right, Glenroy? You yes, got people, right. They they place their faith in the stuff that you put out there and hope that that the elevator won't let them down. No pun intended. <laughs> hey, I, up or down, I hear you. <laughs> and so you know, um, regeneration leads to being born again, uh, and by saving faith and it's not the reverse it's not that i repent and now all of a sudden i've gained saving faith and i've gained being born again and so the arminian will believe in reverse to the reformed believer and, and, and once again sounds a little bit like total depravity and unconditional election to me right you, <laughs> you, it doesn't go together no if, if you if, if, if you have faith in christ alone you, you can't believe that you can do something. You can't believe that it's just God kind of seeing where you're at. You can't believe that 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 you bring anything to the table, right? And so, once again, these five points of Calvinism are not just some things that Calvin thought up and and then his te- it's it, 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 it's what see and take a deep breath. Calm. It's not that they're making stuff up 
and we can debate whether this theology is right or this thing is right. What they're doing and what historically believers have done is they take Scripture, they study it, they pray, we read on it, we, we, we face real-life issues, and we say, hey, as a principle, as a whole, as you read through Scripture from, from front to back, these truths are undeniable. Yes, absolutely That's it. True. That's it. It's undeniable. It's not something we made up, and it sounds really cool, and you can debate it. It's This is what Scripture is saying. This is what all the different historical references, this is how the Bible is designed to work. It works together with these facts going one after the one to building a foundation. 100%. And so that would lead us to sola gratia, that salvation is all of grace, by grace alone. Um and so it's grace plus nothing. It's only grace in Christ. And uh, one of my favorite uh, go-to verses would be Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not of your own doing. If that's not enough, it says it is the gift of God, not a result of works, which Roman Catholics hold to, so that no one could boast. I mean, so if you can have Jesus plus other stuff then you then there's room to boast once again once again gotta be totally depraved gotta believe that had the conditional election gotta believe that and it 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 has to be limited yes and definite and particular if god is the one doing the choosing when he specifically says throughout the scripture multiple times many 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 but only a few <laughs> right? That's he said right. he says few. He says narrow the path, narrow the road, narrow the street. G- great is a gate, but narrow. Like right? he says all he's he uses all this limited language. Yes. But, but you want to believe that's for everybody. It it's not true. And once again, once again, I'm 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 just I'm just trying to let you understand that if I said to someone, Hey, do you believe in Christ alone? They'd be like, Yeah, yeah, of course. Oh, you believe in scripture? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you believe in salvation is all of grace? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then when you start talking about, well, these are the five points, they're like, ah, I don't agree. Oh, this is a reform stuff. All right, Calvin, oh, I don't, I don't support. You do. <laughs> Call it whatever you want. Yep. Call it whatever you want. But the Bible is very clear on this process. We can debate other things. And I'm telling you, there are reformed theo- theologians, reformed people, and we disagree on things. But I, I, Look, I, I'm not smart enough to come up with a, a counter argument to common sense and what the Bible says, and is very clear throughout. Solus Christo, uh, Christus. Christus, yes. Only so, Christ is the Savior. Whoa, that, whoa, wait, there's a debate about that? Yes, yes. So the oh, uh, the Roman okay. Catholic would believe it's Christ plus Mary plus the saints plus the works plus the sacraments plus the plus the. Um, and so who knows where this train ends? Wait, but, wait, uh, they, they teach children this? That's a lot of addition, man. Yeah, yeah. I mean, listen. Is is this is this why they do the Mary the Mary prayer? They do, yeah. The Hail okay, Mary. Mary, Mother of Grace, Hail Mary. All okay, of that, okay, okay, yes. Okay, okay. okay. And uh, what's funny about that is, yeah, biblically, Hail Mary just meant hello, Mary. It was just, a, it was just a greeting. <laughs> it wasn't like a, a, a veneration or a bowing down or any such thing as that. Um, no, because look, she's the mother. You got to start with her, not God right. the Father, no, nope. not Jesus the Creator of all things. But you got to start with the mother, right? They forgot that Jesus created Mary, <laughs> and so um, you can't add to a perfect and full payment 
um, of propitiation, which means that God is satisfied. Now, if you can say that 10 times uh, real fast, perfect payment of propitiation. And so basically that means that Christ on the cross, he said, to tell us die, which means paid in full. When someone would want their debt paid off, they would pay off their debt. They'd bring their ticket uh, up to the Romans and the Romans would take a stamp and stamp it. And it would say paid in full. Now you owe nothing else whatsoever. And so the father was fully satisfied with the substitutionary penal atonement of the son. So that means what the son did in payment was accepted fully by the father, so he would not pour his wrath out on his elect people. Well, look, and I look for, for look. I'm slow, so I'm going to tell you to you in a, in a the way you're that not I'm that slow. Saying, you you, well, you know, you saying blow, both slow, right? <laughs> and imagine my math people. You had infinity, and then you add, and I, I like to play these kind of games with my son. And we had, hey, you know, two, I'm not a math guy. You just well, it, it, you, even. <laughs> Pastor even Tom, I can even, get this one. Even you gonna fall. Right. You, you have infinity. Keep it swinging. And then, and then you add two trillion, two billion, two million gazillion blah, 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 number, and you add it to infinity. What do you? Do, does infinity get bigger? Do you double it? <laughs> it, it? You can't. You can't add anything to it. Right. You can't. Add, the, all of the universe multiplied by fifty-five million is not going to equal God. Right. Period. End of story. It, it it doesn't work. You cannot tell me that the if 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 Christ needs something else, he's not sufficient. That's right. He's not sufficient. That's it. That's, sufficient. That's it. That's it. Soli. So this is some. This is some. Look, we gotta put Soli. this in English. Soli deo gloria. The gloria, right? Not yes. Pasquita's daughter, right? We're talking no. about. Okay, okay. Yes. Yes. So. Not for the glory of man alone, but for the glory of God alone. And again, Come on, I, Pastor Phil, that can't be right. So it's well, not a man's glory? For by grace you have been saved, and this not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. And mm-hmm. so the boasting is in the Lord. Uh, we can't boast in and of ourselves. I can't lay stake and say, listen, I saved myself. Or some of God and some of me. No, it was none of me. It was zero of me. It was zero of Glenn. God did the work. I was dead and he brought me to life. I had nothing to do with bringing myself to life. Nothing whatsoever. I wasn't drowning. I was dead. Uh, some people have the picture of you know, there's a drowning person. Jesus reached in and then the other person reached up. But I like what Vodi Bakum says. Dead man don't reach. <laughs> nope, 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 nope. But nope. he says it was a much cooler voice, you know? Dead man do reach. Yeah, well, they, you're getting there, man. You're getting there. <laughs> and you only say amen, you say ouch. <laughs> that and, dog don't hunt. Man, you're just you sound like you're 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 uh, you're a groupie now. <laughs> <laughs> and so there was um reform theology, not only that is Calvinistic, but that is covenantal. And to be covenantal in our theology means that we understand the covenant framework of Scripture and a covenant being an agreement between two or more people. And there's kind of three aspects to this. There'll be the covenant of redemption, the covenant of works, and the covenant of grace. And so the first one, the covenant of redemption, uh, that was a covenant made between the Trinity 
there was a covenant made in eternity past among the persons of the intertrinitarian council. That'll be the father, the son, and the Holy spirit. And that is known as the covenant of redemption. So they made a plan by which to redeem humanity. Right. So, so anyone who knows the Bible and studies it for any length of time knows that in creation past that, one of the analogies is that we are a bride of Christ and that God the Father is presenting the limited, right? Here we go back again to these five points, a limited people, a group to be presented to his son as a bride. Yes. The church is the bride of Christ. It's limited. You don't give your son everybody, right? It's limited, <laughs> Right. And so this is this covenant, this understanding that the church is the bride of Christ. Yes. And right? then and, and people who don't believe in covenantal believe that. I'm just trying to tell you, you do. You believe in covenants if you believe that. <laughs> and then from the covenant of redemption, we have the covenant of work. So God made a covenant with Adam and to keep the commandment, don't eat from the tree. And how did Adam do on that? He placed with flying colors. Nope, this is the bad news, guys. <laughs> bad news. Adam failed. He failed miserably. He failed horribly. Eve failed right along with him. And so this covenant of works that God made with Adam in the garden, uh, Adam broke it. And therefore, he plunged humanity into ruin and sin and death. And it spread to all men. And, and if there's any concern or any doubt, when we talk about the garden all the time, we just keep going back and going back and going back. One of the things he commanded them to do was to have dominion. Didn't have that. Let your wife pick the pick the fruit and, and you just sit around. Um, he, 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 he broke it. He broke the covenant God had given it to him. We continually break this covenant. And um, uh, that, that, that's all that's all you can really say about it. This is this is a process. No one disputes this. Yeah, it, 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 it's undisputable. It's indisputable unless you do not believe Genesis. And if if a if a sinless man like Adam could fall, what does that say about people that are born into his sin? I can how, find a way. I can, how, hey, 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 hey. I know you started with the humble stuff. I can find a way. <laughs> I, if anyone could do it, I could do it. But you guess what? I didn't do it. Right. You know, you think you have free will? How about this? Make a decision to not sin ever again. Let's see how that works out for you. Failed. Already failed. <laughs> failed I think, before I think, you I think, started. Okay, okay. Let's 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 just put a little bow on this, right? Unlimited food. Got that. Had no relationship issues. He made a woman for him. Right. He told him he could eat of everything except for one thing. He he walked with God. He talked with God. He was God. God had him there naming all the animals. I, I've never had a friend who had me even name his dog. Right? That's serious. There is. If we had that kind of relationship with God, we would. Ne we, we couldn't even conceive of turning away if someone in our life would was that loving as God was onto him, and he still he's. Still, still, still did it. And you're telling me with sin, with all the depravity, with all the things that we do, you're going to choose him? And the, a person who had all the benefits. When we when we talk about heaven and being, we're going back to what, with, with obviously with some exception and with with a better, uh, fuller experience, we're going to have what we, are, we, we wish we had. We are praying every day and singing songs to have the relationship that Adam had with God. 
then we come up to the covenant of grace. And so Christ succeeded where Adam failed. That's the good news, guys. And therefore, we have life and salvation because of the grace of Jesus, not because of trying to follow the law. We couldn't gain salvation by following law. We already failed. And so there is a promise of the covenant of grace, even revealed in Genesis 3.15, known as the Proto-Evangelium, and it's accomplished um, consummately by Jesus in the new covenant. So let me just give you two summaries. Summary one is found in 2 Corinthians 5.21, which speaks about the triple imputation, that is the act of reckoning a legal debt or credit to an account. And it says, for our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So this is the gospel in one verse. Adam's sin was imputed or credited to all humanity. All humanity is credited with Adam's sin. Then our sin for the believer is credited to Christ. He takes our sin upon himself when he died on the cross. And then Christ's righteousness is credited to his elect people because of his redemption. And so, summary two, covenant theology is that Jesus accomplished the covenant of works in the covenant of grace in order to accomplish or fulfill the covenant of redemption. Let me say that one more time. Covenant theology is that Jesus accomplishes the covenant of works, where Adam failed, in the covenant of grace, where Christ succeeded, in order to accomplish or fulfill the covenant of redemption, which was made in eternity past by the Trinitarian Godhead. All Woo. right. Woo, that was good. That was good. You, you, we, we should, we should, we should um, record that. This. Yeah. We, yeah. Yeah. We could <laughs> just do that alone. Okay. Podcast over. All right. No, <laughs> we, have, we have, we have three more, but we got, we got, but they're, they're kind of can be grouped together in a way. So, Yes. We would say th- the reform theology would have to be confessional, um, which 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 uh, um, has uh, utilizes catechisms and creeds, and I think we can kind of put them together. I think in the explanation of what a confessional is, we're kind of we can kind of jump into it. Kind of leads to these other two, right? Sure. But ultimately, I think a confessional at the end of the day is basically the do- the historical documents of the church expressing the consensus on doctrine. So. Which is this idea that throughout church history, once again, we, we're having we talked about the Pelagianism and the Erasmus and the Luther. You know, we're talking about that we had these major debates where people were struggling to to kind of reconcile scripture. And we actually sat down, hatched it out. Believers said, Hey, I you're a believer, I'm a believer. Let's hatch this out. Let's look at scripture and try to make sense of this. And then they wrote it all down amazing right they wrote it down and we can look back 100 years 200 years 300 years and kind of see what the consensus was and so this idea of reform theology is that it's confessional that it's it's different from the the, the catholics where they're just like dictate um uh the pope such and such said this pope the, this is not one man or one group or one church it's the consensus of the, the church at the time on these topics. I think I think it's an amazing thing. And then we have it. We don't have to... I'm going to let you talk in a minute, Phil, but I just wanted to say this one thing. We, I've had... I've heard with the younger people, which I consider myself to still to be, uh, young people who debate, they'll say, well, what would I do if, you know, what would happen if someone was a Christian and they denied Christ, 
and then other Christians died, and then they came back later after everything calmed down, and they wanted to be Christians. What would we do? Oh, I don't know. You know what happened? It did happen. <laughs> it did happen. There's historical reference of it happening. We don't have to wonder, right? Some of these debates that we have are in these hypotheticals. They're not hypotheticals. They happened. Christians have dealt with it. And I'm telling you, as you're listening to the podcast and you're hearing us describe these different things, if it's the first time you're hearing it, even if you heard it a million times, you might be saying to yourself, hey, we're having the same exact debate today in 2021. We had the same debate in 1992. We had the same debate in 1982, you know, 1970. Yeah. Wouldn't it be nice if we kind of like, kind of wrote this down and got it all hatched out? They did it. Yes. Multiple times. And so these confessionals are important. And so someone who's reformed um, versus just Calvinistic, they hold to a reformed confession, such as the London Baptist Confession of 1689, the Westminster Confession of Faith. Um, and there are many various confessions, and they all pretty much align with one another. And agree, uh, yeah. Yeah, they, they, they all have uh, a lot of similarities. A little wrinkles another. here and there. Yeah. Right, right. And there, there's some nuances, but basically they have a similar template or a similar format. And so the documents um, express a consensus on doctrine. And so there's particular truth claims that must be believed in, trusted, rested in, and confessed. So I can't say I'm a Princeton grad. I've never taken a class there, never even been on campus. I don't have a degree from there. So that might be very helpful for you. <laughs> yes. I can't say I'm a Princeton graduate. And so we have people that are saying that they're reformed or saying they're believers, and yet they lack the credentials, so to speak, to substantiate their claims. And so really, uh, confession is objective theology. It's not based on how we feel, um, but we are looking outside of ourselves to say what's wrong in us. And we're looking to Christ the Savior and his finished work. And so there's nothing left to be contributed uh, that's necessary, that Christ has done everything to save his people. And so we can trust and rest assured on him. And so Protestant uh, theology versus Roman Catholic theology um, is implicitly denying other theology, especially Roman Catholic theology. Now, let me just, as an aside, say, you can hate Roman Catholic theology and love Roman Catholic people. Let me say that again. You can despise Roman Catholic theology, completely disagree with it, say it is wrong as the day is long, but still love the people who hold to such theology. Now, now confessionals, the confessions, that's what brings us the five solas. That's what gives us the doctrines of grace. That's what gives us... These kind of things where we don't have to come up with our own. We don't have to have a debate every five years to say, hey, you know, do you think that we save ourselves or God saves us? Do you think we have free will or we don't have free will? Do you think I, it's like I know every new believer as they come into church has this debate. But guess what? We can say, hey, let, hey let's sit down and discuss what believers have been th talking about for 2000 years and let's see what the consensus has been. That's a reformed idea, which leads into the catechisms, right, yes. which is. Which is which? Which is basically a summary of Christian principles, right? It's in a question and answer format, yes. and it's very useful for children. But guess who need it? Grown adults. adults too. Yes. Yes. Because we 
like to we like to come up with once again we talked about how we feel right no it's objective it is not based on feeling because guess what feelings change circumstances change cultures change but whether you're in london and you're in africa or you're in the 1920s wherever you are it it is what it is what it is yeah people are not coming up with anything new there's nothing new under the sun and so the catechisms are very much based on the confessions and they're done in this questioning and answer format kind of like the way people speak you ask them a question somebody responds to it what, what's the what's the most famous question and answer in there what is the purpose of man well, yeah, yeah. What is right? You know, man? it's very basic. And some people can't answer that. If you ask right. somebody, "What are you doing on this planet?" Most people, I don't think, would come up with a real answer. I'm trying to be a YouTube influencer. <laughs> That's not the right yes. answer. No, no, or a Facebook influencer. Yes, all of these kinds of things. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. People just making up stuff. Like a guy I met, he told me he was a Facebook evangelist. Uh, I've never I've never heard it on this wise. <laughs> okay. But really good, you know, and if you have children, teenagers, and you know, even adults, um, how do you respond to, issue, you know, when somebody asks you a question of sin or if God is so loving, why is there so much evil? Well, the catechism, the confessions, it deals with these kinds of things. Even if you don't agree with the answer, it may, the question is the point. It makes you, it makes you deeper into your faith. You can't, you cannot tell me that being asking these questions, trying to find out what you truly believe is taking you farther away from Christ. It can only get you deeper. What keeps you away from Christ is these kind of up-in-the-air feelings. Oh, I wonder. Oh, I, oh, uh, uh, um, um, the, the book of XYZ is too hard, so I'm just going to skip that book. Revelation is too difficult. It's a lot of imagery. Let me skip. No, 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 no. The catechisms force you to say, okay, what do you believe about the end times? What do you believe about this? Do you think you can have that? And you could like, I'm not saying every catechism is perfect, but even just being able to have a question and answer and say, do I agree with that or disagree with that? It, 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 it's like building your spiritual muscle, right? And this leads to what? The historic creeds. And probably the least controversial, right, <laughs> of all that, because I'm going to tell you a quick story, and then you can explain it, because uh, I, like I like to hear you talk. You want me to explain your story? No. I want, <laughs> well, you could. You won't have to translate for some people. Okay. <laughs> so when I was looking for a church, I would go on the website, and I would read what they said here. Went to a completely different church, talking different stuff, had the same exact wording. Went to this other church. I'm like, is either they all equally the same <laughs> or something's up. What I was reading was the Apostle Creed, the Nicene Creed, the Athanasian Creed. They didn't call it that. And so all these churches are claiming these things when they don't really believe it. So I, I just wanted to bring that point up. Go ahead, sir. Yeah. And so these creeds were written as a rebuttal or a response to heresy. So um, they had to, when the issues of, you know, is Christ fully God and fully man? Is he uh, partially God and partially man? So they came up with these creeds, like the Apostles' Creed, the Nicene Creed, and then the Athanasian Creed, to deal with heresy because they never had to, um, it wasn't in question uh, if Jesus was God and man uh, in the early church. So then when these things came up, they had to write these concise creeds 
to encapsulate what does the actual church believe. And that kind of separated the men from the boys or, you know, the, the true believers from the heretics. And, and so the confessions were like broader, you yes. know, hey, what kind of, it's kind of like, hey, let's get together and say, what do we believe? Yes. Hey, do we, what do we believe about this? What do we believe about that? Is this right? What does scripture say about this? The creeds are more like, okay, there's, there's some sin in the camp. There's some people out here talking nonsense. We got to get this down in writing. Because I don't want my great, great, one of the things that we decided at Grace Baptist is that we had all these things kind of lined up. And I think we've always been a pretty solid church. And we were like, well, what happens in Pastor, if Christ has a return, Pastor Peter passes away. Phil in 100 years passes away, because you're, you're a pretty young and, and viral guy, right? <laughs> passes away. What happens in 100 years? Well, we wanted to have something in place so that when the next generation comes, it's not based on what this new guy thinks. Yes. You see what I'm saying? And so the difference between the creed and confession is the confession is more of a general, what do we believe? And it actually addresses the same things, but the creed is like, no, no, no. This is the essentials. Yes. These things must be believed. Period. You're not a Christian. (laughs) End of story. Yeah. They, they, they question TD Jakes as far as does he believe in the Trinity? And he used his famous uh, manifestations, uh, you know, and so that, that doesn't work. If they would have just had him read the Athanasian creed and cornered him uh, into having to affirm the Trinity, according to the Athanasian creed, he wouldn't be able to do it. But since he used the Apostles' Creed and the Nicene Creed, he, he'd be able, he could dance around those things. But it, they kept having to make it uh, more succinct and, and more pure and continued uh, to squeeze that lemon a little bit more to focus on theological issues and really get down to um, what is the Trinity of God. And so you went from broad to narrow. And that's what you see when you go from confession to catechism to creed, you go from more broad, I'm sorry, you go from broad to more narrow, uh, from a larger body to a smaller body, but they really all overlap with one another in one respect. And so catechisms, confessions, and creeds um, are things that are held by those uh, who are reformed. Um, Now, now, someone who probably we're hoping a lot of people who don't know anything about reformed theology are going to listen to this. Mm-hmm. We hope some people who do know are probably going to be like, "Oh, I didn't, I didn't even really realize that was a part of it." Right. It, it's not some alien thing. Sure. It is. Yes, we have the five points, but the five points are grounded in theology. The five points are once again in reaction to. We didn't say the H word until well into the podcast, but heresies. Right. Right. And so I my argument for someone who's like, well, why reform theology or someone who says, uh, uh, yeah, but why do we have to get so specific is because of these things. One, a reform the- theologian, people who are, adhere to reform theology have no problem with putting the, the book Bible down and reading through scripture and then saying, hey, does this make sense? Doesn't make sense. We're not scared. We feel like we have truth on our side. Two, this kind of stuff has been happening and it causes confusion. And one thing we know is God is not the God of confusion. And so 
having things in black and white, whether you agree or disagree, is a good thing. So Reformed theology is also known as biblical theology, and therefore it's God-glorifying, God-honoring, and therefore God delights in it. The Reformers, again, they took the torch, they lit it from the scriptures, and then they just put things into categories, and they let that baby uh, flame in front of us. They let it blaze so that we would know uh, what the scriptures teaches. We use the word Bible, right? And we use certain uh, theological words, but not all of these theological words that we use are found in Scripture, but the concepts are certainly there. And so we're doing no different today. And so therefore, we have these aspects of Reformed theology, once again, Calvinistic, covenantal, confessional, using catechisms and holding to creeds. Well, once again, I wanted to remind you that we are planning to go to the G3 conference coming up in October. Our vendor table is $900 in totality. And so any help that you would like to give us, you can certainly do so by going to our website, soulfishingministries.org, and making a donation to help us get to the G3 conference. This year, Glenn Roy is making his debut, and I'm so glad he is. So we're hoping to get some good interviews in there and perhaps do some podcasting over with perhaps uh, people such as Steve Lawson or James White. Of course, there's no promises there. We're just going to try to hunt them down and see if we can bring them over to our table. So also pray for us because we would love to have uh, some of these men um, on our podcast as well. Also check out our Soul Fishing Ministries shop. And uh, as you purchase our stuff, it will go into carrying out the vision and mission of the ministry. Um, thank you for all that give. Really, I, if I don't thank you enough uh, publicly, um, I do uh, thank you so much uh, privately often. But publicly, I just want to say thank you uh, from the bottom of our hearts. Uh, really, it is going to incredible uh, use. We've been able to uh, bless various people with certain resources and things of that nature um, that have really been a blessing to their hearts at really key and pivotal times when there was this great struggle uh, in their lives. And we do that through the relationships we have uh, with people um, that um, through those who support the podcast. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you to God be the glory. Um, great things he has done through your giving and through your prayers. Well, once again, Thank you for taking this time to stop and think about it. If you would like to contact us, please email us at stopandthinkcrew at gmail.com. You can also visit our website at www.stopandthinkpodcast.com. This podcast is listener-supported by generous people like you. You can give a tax-deductible donation at our affiliate ministry at www.soulfishingministries.org and click on our donate link to give securely through PayPal. Thank you for listening to Stop and Think About It.